If you have your Bibles, take them, please, and turn them to John chapter 15. This is where I want us to spend some time this morning. John chapter 15. But go back now. I want to show you a picture. Put that bald head up there, will you? I want you to see something, and I want to introduce this message by telling you a story. You see, the problem all started when a 16-year-old got in trouble at school. In a post, her dad explained what it was. He said he's in full custody of the daughter. His ex-wife lives elsewhere. And he was furious that, of what she got in trouble over. It seems that she uh, lost her hair. She was, she was making fun of and bullying a girl who had lost her hair uh, from chemo and who was battling cancer. And somehow at school, these girls got in an argument over a boy. And the, and, the, and the father said in a pose they were having an argument in class about stupid teenage gossip regarding my daughter's boyfriend, basically just stupid teenage, he said, she said, nonsense. It's not how I've raised my daughter, he said, to react and treat people. And it really disgusted me to how she uh, reacted. He said, she showed no remorse when I confronted her about this. And so he gave her two options. He said, look, you're in my custody, and when you live in my house, uh, you, you'll apologize, and you have, you have two choices. You can, you can give up your cell phone forever, for life, all of your uh, digital uh, toys, or you go get your head shaved just like that girl and you're not going to wear a wig. You're going to wear it bald just like she is and let everybody know and understand why you got your head shaved. What do you think that teenage girl did? <laughs> That's how much she loved her cell phone. She got her head shaved. I want to talk to you this morning about accountability. Accountability. How many of you can relate to this teenage girl or this dad? How many can relate? I can relate to her. I had a dad and a mom who believed in the principle of accountability. I know what that is like. And so if you have your Bibles, look with me to John 15, and I want to begin with verse 1. Now, before we read the, the verses, and I'm going to ask you to stand when we read together, uh, let, let's just review the setting. We talked about this, but I want to review it. Jesus and the 11 disciples had just uh, left the upper room where they had had the Last Supper. They leave there to begin the half-mile walk down toward the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would then be arrested. Within the next 12 hours, Jesus would be tried, he'd be tortured, and then he would be nailed to a Roman cross. That's the time frame in which this is happening. And so as they walked that night, we know there was a full moon because it was the Passover time. And I can just see that moonlight glistening on the dozens of vineyards that uh, they walked through and passed as they wove their way down and then Mount Zion and then went through the Kidron Valley and then up the Mount of Olives. A picture Jesus stopping by one of those grapevines. He used this as an object lesson to teach his disciples and to teach us about how to be fruitful, how to live a life of disciplined and obedient character as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so once again, here in this story, we see Jesus, how he could use ordinary things like 
bread or seeds or birds or uh, flowers uh, to teach deep spiritual truths uh, as he shares the Word of God. So let's stand together as we read the Word of God, and I'm going to ask you to read with me in your outdoor voice as we begin with verse 1, and we'll read the first eight verses. This is the NIV. Read it, please, in your outdoor voice. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. Amen. May God add his blessing to his word. Amen. God bless you. Be seated, please. Now, as we look at the subject today, the law of accountability, the law of accountability, we see this in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. Now, you know, if you read the word regularly, that God has a lot to say about accountability. One of the most important areas and dimensions of accountability has to do with children. We know, and sometimes in Christian language and our communication, we use the term age of accountability. Say that with me, age of accountability. Now, what do we mean when we use that term? Well, we're talking about when a child reaches the age, and it's different for every child. They say some uh, most of the time, girls come to that before boys. I don't know. I guess boys are a little slower. But they, the, what it has to do with is the coming to an understanding of right and wrong, of sin and evil. And we take many scriptures to un underscore that, but uh, one is very important. That's Romans 7, verse 9. Paul said this, once I was alive apart from the law. What does that mean? It means he was, he was, he's talking spiritually. I was alive in the spirit. I was alive spiritually. I was in right relationship with God. See, every baby born, that's where they are. They are alive spiritually. When a baby dies, he goes to be with Jesus. He doesn't go to purgatory or hell or anywhere else. No, sir. I, do you believe that? Well, believe it or not, it's true. And, and, and so once, Paul said there was a time and that's what he's talking about. I was alive in the spirit. My spirit man was alive. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Now, what happened when the commandment came? The commandment 
is what gave the revelation of what's right and wrong, what is sin and what is evil. And that's the revelation of the Word of God. And so when a child reaches that age and they know right from wrong and their conscience is activated and quickened and becomes alive, then unless that's the time they must receive Jesus as their Savior because they are entering into spiritual death. That's why Jesus died on the cross. How many know that if we're, if we're not alive spiritually, we're dead in trespasses and sins? That's what the Bible teaches. And so all through Scripture, we see uh, and read about God's principle of accountability. Ecclesiastes, verse 11, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 9, look at this. This is especially written to young people. Uh, all the young people listen up especially. It says, young people, it's wonderful to be young. How many can say amen to that? Sure you can. It's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember, you must give an account to God for, anything you, for everything you do. Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus says, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Matthew 25, 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Jesus is teaching that principle of stewardship. Yes, you're going to give an account of how you used his money. Yes, you are. That has to do with the tithe. That has to do with offerings he puts on your heart to give, and you either gave it or you didn't. We're going to give an account, friends. Are you hearing me this morning? Romans 14, verse 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And then Paul writes this to the church in Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Every pastor knows this. If he doesn't, he should. He better know this. Every leader of God's people needs to know this. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit. So accountability is all the way through the Scripture. Now, when Jesus looks at that grapevine and he says, I'm the, I'm the true vine, my father is the gardener, he is illustrating in this parable of the relationship that people have with him and with the eternal God and how we are accountable to him in how we live our lives day by day as disciples of Jesus Christ. If you haven't been in a vineyard lately, this is what a vineyard looks like in Israel. Now, the, the rows here, are re that, that's right near Jerusalem uh, where this vineyard is. And uh, as I look at it, I want us to visualize what Jesus uh, is doing and what he's talking about in our hearts. Uh, see, with this, now, with this simple picture in mind, uh, Jesus is giving us a powerful picture of the Christian life. And uh, in this allegory, we must understand what he's talking about. Now, let's make sure we get it, all right? I know I, know my, I may be oversimplifying, but I think this is the better way to teach so we all get it and we're all on the same page. 
Now, who is the vine? The vine is Jesus. This is the seventh and the final I am statement that Jesus makes about himself when he says, I am the true vine. He calls himself the true vine because uh, many places in the, in the Old Testament re refer to the vine as being Israel. In fact, Psalm 80 uh, used this as a symbol. And Israel is repeatedly pictured in the Old Testament as the vine of God and that God is the owner of the vineyard. Isaiah speaks about the vineyard run wild. Jeremiah refers to a degenerate plant or a strange vine. Hosea uses the image of the empty vine. And so all through the Old Testament, but Psalm 80 uh, verse 8 says uh, how God transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. So he's talking about Israel. But here in this opening verse, Jesus said, I am the true vine, the genuine one, not the symbol, not the picture in the Old Testament that the Father wrote about through the prophets. I'm the true vine who is here now. I am the fulfillment of promise, the son of the living God, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. The vine who is evermore. All right, now, the, the, so the vine is Jesus. The gardener is the father. The father tends the garden, according to Jesus. He, other translations use the word vine dresser. Uh, he takes two actions, this vine dresser, regarding the branches. When one doesn't produce fruit, he cuts it off. Can you see him holding that vine accountable in that? He, he is inspecting the fruit. He is a master fruit inspector. Uh, and so he, he takes that as one action and burns it. When a branch bears fruit, then the father prunes it for a specific purpose. What is that purpose? So it'll produce more fruit. It'll be more productive. It'll be healthier. And then thirdly, the branches represent the people. That's us. The branches represent you and me. We're the branches, and there are two kinds of branches here. There are those that produce fruit, and there are those that don't produce fruit in this picture. And then finally, the fruit represents the nature of Jesus displayed in our lives. That's the fruit he's looking for, the character of Jesus lived out in your life and through your life and mine. So fruit is simply the outward expression of the inner nature. When I see an apple hanging on an apple tree, I don't, say, I don't call that a fig tree, do I? Because I see by the fruit, that's an apple tree. When I see an orange on an orange tree, I say that's an orange tree. When I see spaghetti hanging on a spaghetti tree, <laughs> no, spaghetti doesn't grow on trees, does it? I guess it grows on bushes, doesn't it? No, just kidding. I know where you get spaghetti. Are you getting this picture this morning, friends? So we, we, we know what kind of tree we are. We know what kind of branch we are. As he exercises his right 
in the law of accountability to inspect our lives and to walk among us. Now that we know each part of the vi- what the vineyard represents, let me, let me just walk through now uh, uh, four lessons real quickly in this relationship we have uh, with Jesus. Number one, uh, again, fruit is the proof of my relationship with Jesus. It shows my connection with Jesus. When you buy fruit in the grocery store, uh, a lot of times you'll see a little sticker on it. Sometimes they're round, sometimes they're oblong. But that sticker means somebody somewhere inspected that fruit, held that fruit accountable for being uh, servable, saleable, quality. And so when it when it comes to people, Jesus says that is the Father's function, that is his function, but it's also our function. Did you know we are to be fruit inspectors as well? So we know whether someone is walking in fellowship and obedience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 16, by their fruit you shall know them. See, God's plan for your life and mine is not to make you as successful as you can be. He's not, a, he's not opposed to your success, but how many know that God's ideal, God's primary purpose for you is for you to be a fruitful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say amen to that? Well, it's true, and that's his plan. Jesus said, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So the best way you and I can live a godly life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to bear fruit, and yes, even bear much fruit. Sometimes we use the phrase, the proof is in the pudding. How many have ever said that? Well, how many have ever heard that? The proof is in the pudding. Well, here you can say the proof is in the fruit. You can talk all day about, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and we hear people doing that all over the world. It doesn't matter how many times you sing Amazing Grace if you haven't been transformed by the redeeming power of the blood of Jesus Christ and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You are not a follower of Jesus. Just living in America does not make us a Christian. And so the best way for us to live in a life of of glory for the Father is to bear fruit. Now, he's talking about character, as you know. He's talking about what's on the inside. Fruit is the outward expression of the inner nature of the tree. So when we see someone who is displaying the nature of Jesus, then we know that they're Christian. When we observe someone who is uh, seldom or who never displays the fruit of the Spirit in their life, then we can wonder, are they really a follower of Jesus. And so the fruit is the proof. Now here's number two. I cannot produce that fruit. I can only display the fruit that Jesus produces in me. Are you hearing me? You cannot manufacture fruit. I don't care how smart you are. See, there's a, dis- there's a, there's a great difference between displaying fruit and producing fruit. And you and I are bound by the limitation of displaying only. 
Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. He is the one who is producing the fruit. And if you get that backwards, you're headed into weakness. You're headed into trouble. You're headed into difficulty and frustration. You may know all of the expressions of the fruit of the Spirit by heart, but unless we're allowing Jesus to bring those to the fore and be demonstrated day by day, day, then we're living a fruitless, fruitless and ineffective life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Especially if you're a type A personality. A lot of times you see people who really try to make a to-do list and they'll uh, do this about being a follower of Jesus and they'll say, okay, today I'm, I'm going to be completely loving. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be absolutely peaceful. And somehow they think by the, their own bootstraps, they can pull themselves up and make themselves do that. And then next day they'll check that off and go to the next item on the list. But if that's what we're doing, we're setting ourselves up for problems, for trouble. Branches don't produce fruit. Ultimately, it is the result of the connection to the vine, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord for that? Just as a branch, Jesus said, is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. That's John 15, verse 4. S.D. Gordon tells a, about a spring storm. It broke off a large limb on his cherry tree in his yard. And although it hung there by a slender strand, to his surprise, later in the spring, it began to put out slight blossoms. And then Later, some fruit began to grow, as it did on the other branches. But then over time, he noticed that only those in full contact with the tree bore much fruit. And while the partially severed branch produced a scanty supply, the others produced full harvest of fruit. And Gordon said, as believers, we must be careful about our spiritual connections, making sure we're fully abiding in Christ. The fruit we bear, whether much or little, ultimately tells the story. Our connection with Jesus, is it solid? Is it firm? Is it strong? Is it remaining? You can't display the fruit of the Spirit unless you're firmly attached to Jesus. I read about a village leader in a remote area of Nepal. He visited a modern city for the first time. He had never been in a place like that. He was fascinated by the electric lights he had never seen. He was amazed that he could, someone could flip a switch on the wall and a little glass ball would light up on the ceiling and fill the room with light. And so with the little money that he had been given from his villagers, he found a store, bought a, a light bulb, a plastic wall switch, 
And when the other villagers saw his strange items after going home, they asked him, what are these? He said, just wait until dark and you will see. The people of the village gathered that night so they could see the man and his bulb and his switch. He tied the bulb with a string to the ceiling of his little dwelling. He had attached the switch to the wall with something. Finally, after nightfall, he said, watch this. He flipped the switch, and suddenly the room lit up. No, you don't believe that, do you? It did not. Nothing happened, except he moved the switch from one position to the other. Are you getting the picture, friends? The bulb has to be connected to the source, doesn't it? It has to be connected to the life source, electricity. Jesus is helping us to understand you cannot bear fruit of yourself. Stop trying. Stop working so hard at it. Just surrender. Give it over to him. Walk with him and let him release the strength that you need and uh, give you the ability to give the expressions of the character transformation of your life. He can do that. A man named Ron Dunn understood this truth and wrote so well. He said, a branch is just like a grape rack that God has there to hang his fruit on. My responsibility isn't to produce fruit. My responsibility is just to be available for God to hang his fruit on me. Hallelujah. I want to be available for God to put his fruit on my life. Now, here's the final one. Let me wrap it up. Here's, here's number three. Fruitful branches are pruned so that they will produce more fruit. You know what happens to branches and people who do not display fruit? We know. Jesus said they get cut off and they're cast into the fire. The gardener is a master uh, inspector. He knows how to hold us accountable. That accountability is a part of his function. He says he cuts off, in verse 2, every branch in me that bears no fruit. Being a follower of Jesus, how many know it involves responsibility? The word accountability is synonymous with responsible or being responsible, being held responsible. We live in a culture today where that seems to be slipping a lot. People don't want responsibility. People don't, don't want to be held accountable. May I remind us this morning that if we're going to be followers of Jesus with 100% all in total surrender and commitment to the things of God, then we must welcome his inspection for our lives that we might then bear more fruit for him as we walk with him. So Jesus tells us then what the Father does to the branches that do bear fruit. I know at first it sounds illogical. It sounds nonsensical. It sounds like, whoa, this is, this is crazy. They're bearing fruit. Why come in and cut off more? But Jesus said he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What's the worst thing you could do for a grapevine that is in your vineyard and in your yard? Well, those who have vineyards tell me 
and that the worst thing you could do is just to leave all of the old branches on it to the next season and never trim it and never prune it and never clean it up because ultimately it in itself would become less and less fruitful. So no expert vine dresser will allow branches like that to remain. No, they'll come in and cut all the sucker branches off. Then they'll cut off those that are producing fruit so that they will be even healthier and produce more fruit. He'll lovingly cut back those fruitful branches. Imagine in your life you get to the place in your Christian experience where you're walking in obedience to Christ. You've surrendered control of your life. And I pray that's true of all of us here this morning. And people are seeing evidences of the nine uh, principles and uh, personality traits of the working of the Spirit in your life called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And then the divine gardener comes along and he smiles. And then he does something totally unexpected in your life. He takes out some big shears, and then he walks over and carefully takes account of that particular vine and those branches of which you and I are. And he begins to cut. He begins to trim, and he starts pruning our lives. And we start crying, no, Lord, not that. No. Don't cut that away. Ouch, that hurts. Then the Lord says to you and me, I love you so much. I must do this so that you'll be more fruitful. You don't see ahead. You don't understand. But by me doing this, you'll be stronger. You'll be healthier. You'll produce more fruit. You'll bring more glory. Are you hearing me this morning, church? This is the part that's really not pleasant because he cuts things nobody ever thought would be cut. I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that for many people in America and in the church even for the last 18 months, two years, all this COVID-19 stuff, we have, we have seen some pruning of things in people's lives, whether intentionally or not, that are, have brought changes forever. I like what, I like what one, one writer tells about uh, he, he talks about uh, one, one thing that got pruned a lot, and it's, it's, I think back now you see it going full blast, and that's sports in America. But there were months and months that stadiums were empty, and there was a lot of pruning going on. And uh, I know that that affected a lot of people. Well, it may not have affected you, but what are some places that, that uh, are areas for pruning in your life and mine? You see, the Father knows this. He, he's the one who has the ability to inspect us like no one else. Uh, he, he's going to look at our attitude. How's your attitude? How's your attitude? What needs trimming there? What needs cutting away? There's some, there's some viewpoints. There's some uh, dealings with other people. They, they need to be cut off. How about your, your passion for the Lord? serving the Lord? How about your commitment level to God? Uh, how about your service to the Lord? What about your motives in life? What, what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? What gives you joy? What, what makes you inspired and excited? 
What about your relationships? Are there are some there are some relationships that need the, the, the great vine dresser to prune off? Are there relationships that are draining the life on you? Are there some relationships that need to be cut off in your life? They're not adding to your spiritual life. They're draining from you. Psalm 1 describes a, a person who meditates on God's Word day and night. And I like what J.C. Ryle says. He captures it well when he wrote this. When Jesus said, abide in me, he meant cling to me, stick fast to me, live your life in close and intimate communion with me. Cast all your whole weight on me. Never let go your hold on me, not even for one moment. End of quote. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. You and I both know that once you commit your life totally to Jesus, you're going to be a busy person. You're going to be busy doing a lot of things, and he'll give you opportunities to serve. But Psalm 1 says, as you meditate on the word of the Lord and you linger with him and you abide with him, he says, you're going to be like a tree planted by rivers of water. You're going to be one who yields your fruit in season. You're going to be one whose leaf does not wither. That's the working of God in your life. That's being attached to the vine, the one who is the life flow, the one who gives life. Hallelujah. I had the privilege of visiting this last week in the latter part of the week with a businessman in our area. I've known for a number of years, but never really talked to him a lot. And we got to talking, and he began to share about the things of the Lord, and we, we couldn't talk about business because we were talking about the, the things of the Lord, and he, and he wanted to talk about the soon return of Jesus. And I was just inspired as I listened to him, and he shared some of his testimony with me. He said, you know, Pastor Hanks, there was a time in my life that I thought I was a Christian. I, I really, you know, I went to church with my family, but he said, now as I look back, I realize I was a prodigal. I really wasn't close to the Lord. I was not connected to God. But he said, in 1985, God did a work in my life, totally transformed me. And since that time, my favorite pastime is reading the Word of God, lingering in it, meditating on it, digging into it, especially as I read Ezekiel, as I read the other prophecies about the coming of the Lord. And he said, I want you to know, I believe we're so very, very near. And I said, man, thank you for sharing this with me. You've inspired me. And he lifted my faith. Here's a man who is abiding closely on the vine. And I thank God for men and women like that. I want you to be that kind of person. And God's giving you a lifetime to do that. Amen? God's giving you and me an opportunity to develop that in our own lives, to, di to display that fruitfulness in our own personality. I'm so grateful that John 15 is part of the Bible. And to me, it reveals the greatest secret I ever learned about the Christian life. I learned that I cannot live the Christian life in and of myself. It's impossible. I must have Jesus. I must have his spirit in my life. It also helps me know that when I admit and I surrender everything to him in the indwelling Christ, he will live his life through me. It doesn't, it's not about me, it's about him. And when I do that, the Father is glorified. 
he gets much glory and I'm allowed to bear fruit in my life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Aren't you grateful to be part of the vine? Aren't you grateful that he allows us to be among those who are bearing fruit? I'm glad to be part of the body of Christ. And this metaphor and allegory that Jesus gives is so helpful to help us just walk it out. I know it's very simple. I didn't intend for this to be deep and above your head. I want us to get it. I want us to remain in Jesus. I want us to walk close to him. And I want us to allow him in the law of accountability to inspect our lives and then do what he needs to do and desires to do to make us even more fruitful in the things of God. Is that your desire today? How many can I see your hand? That's your desire. Well, stand with me, will you? We have that in our hearts, Lord, in the name of Jesus. It's our longing. It's our desire. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Let's just take a moment to commit ourselves right here, right now. In this passage of Scripture, ask the Lord to make you an example of what he has been teaching in this passage in John 15. Would you pray that right now, right where you, just before we go today, in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, I join my faith with my brothers and sisters, and we thank you that you're working within each of our lives. Our hearts belong to you. Jesus, you are the vine. We are the branches. And so thank you, Father, for helping us not only to be fruitful, but to bear much fruit. Let us surrender to your pruning. Let us surrender to your chastening. Let us surrender to your holding us accountable. Lord, not only knowing that we'll do that when we stand before you, but allow it even now so that we will be able to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things now. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And so we ask you to do that in each of our lives today, Father. We love you, we bless you, and we magnify your name. Amen and amen.